Story number one, Humans Are Weird, A Bit of Damage, written by Betty Adams. Yo, Fives, first the old ranger called out. But sister let her frill ripple in an amused irritation at the shortening of her designation and the friendly imposition it showed. She tilted her head and focused on the approaching human and shifted her tablet to reach her hand in greeting. Yo, she awkwardly used the informal greeting. First field ranger, how are you? There to middling, the first field ranger answered, swinging a mug of coffee he was drinking with one hand, while the other was clamped tightly to his side. But sister curled her antenna in suspicion as she realized that the human was holding the mug in his left hand. He was still dressed in his full membrane covering that they wore under the extravehicular activity suits. The tight angle of the lips suggested the rigid control they used when hiding some emotion. I was wondering if you could pop over to the storage bay and take a look at my suit. The human went on. Took a bit of damage while I was out this morning, and I want to know how long it'll be out of commission. That is well within my duties, Fifth Sister said slowly. The human was clearly hiding something. She wasn't sure what. She had enough experience with the species for her frill edge to be prickling. She just wasn't sure of what yet, other than the distinctly asymmetrical first field ranger was using a non-dominant hand when his dominant hand was clearly free. Great! The human bobbed his head eagerly. Can you have that done by lunch? If you can, then I'll send the data to the fair pay for parts, but I have things to do and places to go before then. I can fit that into my schedule, she said. You're a lifesaver, Fives. The human called out before pivoting and strolling down the corridor. Fifth sister flicked her antenna in irritation. Rudeness aside, the human's bipedal stride also displayed a strange, overly contorted movement that his facial expression had. She flicked her antenna in frustration and continued to the storage bay. The stench of evaporated polycarbons caused her antenna to curl as the door cycled open. The source of the reek wasn't hard to find. The human suit was hanging in the storage rack. The armor plating was missing a significant portion of the mass it had boasted this morning. The sister crossed the bay slowly, her frill and antennae extending in shock. She reached out to spread her digits over the damaged surface. She couldn't reach the outer edge of the central portion of the damage. The armor had clearly taken an energy blast, wraps a stray laser discharge. The inspection should tell her. Whatever the cause, the outer layer had experienced a massive evaporation explosion incident. The force would have torn the outer membrane, she clicked to herself. She shook off a frill and reminded herself that there was a human she was dealing with. Membrane damage meant very little to them. It was that particular calcium-rich endoskeleton that had taken the blunt force damage. She recalled the odd position of Field Ranger's dominant hand, as if it had been offering support to something internal. But the sister clicked her mandibles in frustration as she activated the scanner on her tablet. Of course her work would have done by the first Field Ranger return, However, analysis and repair of the damaged materials was not her only function. She dialed up the medical bay as she worked. Greetings, third sister, she said politely. Nice suspect first field ranger is attempting to hide an endoskeleton fracture. On the screen, third sister's antennae barely flicked with surprise. Where will be the best place to catch him, third sister asked. I suggest you conceal yourself near the chocolate. 
but sister advised. They seemed most vulnerable there. End of story number one. Story number two. Interstellar Primate, written by H2J1977. Primate Xenotype, are you certain, Clock? Zampo shook his head. Are you reading the scanner correctly? Does it need to be recalibrated? Holding the scanner up to display the results, Glock flared his head frills in graduation. Yes, I'm reading it right, Zampo. I'm not a drecking imbecile. And this isn't my first day, either. Zampo took the scanner and tried to surreptitiously do a deep scan of the being sitting alone at the booth three down from them. The being was a bipedal with two arms wearing a rather tight-looking black and gold jumpsuit. It appeared to be mostly hairless, at least that was what was visible, the head and arms. The top of the head was the only part of the creature with hair. Long, below the shoulder-blonged head that was tied into some sort of intricate braid. The being was eating a meal of an unusual lightly cooked meal that was still red on the inside, and some sort of mashed vegetable, or more likely a tuber. The readings indicated that the drink that they were consuming appeared to be something wholly toxic to Zampo and his fellow Grolof. But then, ethoalcohol was toxic to just about everything in the known galaxy. The scanner quietly hummed for several seconds, and the screen began to display information. Okay, so they are definitely endothermic. Let's see, um... It also says that they have an endoskeleton comprised of... 206 separate bones made of collagen and calcium phosphate. Bone density indicates that they're probably the moderate gravity planet. Glock flashed his eye spots in red in irritation. See, I told you, look at the next two lines. Air and memory glands. Zampo flashed his eye spots red in response and stated, but they only have hair on the top of their head and at the hot spots of their body. That just proves that they're mammalian. Also see said Zampo. Bone structure in the hips indicates live birth. Oh, so a female then. Too bad there aren't more of them to scan. We could determine the number of sexes and sexual dimorphism that they display. Glock took the scanner back, scrolling down. Interstellar mammalian xenotypes are common as dirty seats in a mass transportation. There are 43 total interstellar mammalian species in the known galaxy. Seventeen of those are canonized xenotypes, three philidae, seven ursidae, and five pinnipeds, and eight ranodacia, including us. There are only seven interstellar amphibian species, and four interstellar reptilian species. The avian xenotype, however, outnumbers us all with sixty different interstellar species. Thanks for the intro to xenobiology lesson, Glock, Zampo said, his sprawls and eye spots indicating extreme sarcasm. We are both xenothropologists. We've taken the same glasses. You still haven't proven that they're a primate. There has never been an interstellar primate. In fact, there has only ever been four primate species that could even potentially reach the interstellar stage of civilization. One of those, the Yoglong, has eradicated by disease during the early industrial age. Two, the Aravi and the Bajora eradicated themselves during their atomic ages. Lastly, the Abhice ravaged their world with pollution until it eventually became uninhabitable, and they died half as slow and miserable. The scanner let out a gentle ping, indicating that it had completed its scan. They plainly listed at the bottom of the analysis was a summary. 
Zampo's skin blanched and Glock's head froze curled upwards in excitement. See, I told you, primate, her DNA composition is irrefutable proof. As they were reviewing the data on the scanner, the strange being picked up her plate and drink and started walking towards their table. Glock and Zampo both flashed colors of anxiety and stress, their head frills laying flat against their skulls. Pointing to a device that draped around her ear, she said, Hello guys, this is a universal translator. I'm not sure there's a custom in your culture but talking about someone as if they're not there. To say nothing of sneaking a deep scan without permission is considered very rude to us humans. With that, she pulled out an empty chair at the table, sat down, and stared at both of them in the eyes for a moment. I'm Julian Wright. I'm a human. We came from a planet about 18,000 light years from here called Earth. What are your names? Where are you from? Glock and Zampo sat there, stunned. Human? Earth? Wait. 18,000 light years? Glock's eyes spots flashed yellow, indicating disbelief. How far did you say? 18,000 light years? But that's impossible. It would take 2,000 years just with the most advanced MTL drives in the galaxy to cross the distance. Julian smiled, but noticed that both Glock and Zambo recoiled with her skin mottling black and grey and their eye spots flashing red, and immediately dropped it. Apologies, my species calls that a smile. It's meant to be a pleasant greeting or a reassurance. It's not aggressive or threatening, usually. She continued, You see, we humans don't use FTL travel to move about the galaxy. We use wormhole drives. Glock and Zampo simultaneously made strange gurgling hiss, and it was Julian's turn to be taken aback. But after a moment, she realized that they were laughing. No, seriously, guys, we use wormhole drives. Why does no one believe us when we say that? I mean... I know the tech is beyond complicated and it's practically magic to me, but surely someone else has tried to create a wormhole drive before us. Glock realized that she was serious and decided to file that away for later. Any species insane enough to consider wormhole travel a reasonable way to get around the galaxy would have no need to lie about it. Okay, so wormhole drives, that's, um, very interesting. No one else uses them because our laws of physics tell us it's suicide to try. Glock flashed his eye spots a deep blue and laid his head frills down so low that they reminded Julian of her childhood pet Beagles' ears. I sincerely apologize if we offended you. We were simply curious. We are the xenothropologists. It is our job to gather information on idiot species. Please understand that you're something of the nearer luck to us. Julian's translator struggled with that word for a few seconds before finally settling on Unicorn as an analogue. Do you mind if we ask you some more questions? We have so many. They're so exciting. His skin flashed streaks of orange and his head frills jutted up and out, reminding Julian of an old earth animal called an elephant that she had seen in a photo once. Julian picked up a beer and took a sip and replied, On two conditions. No more scanning, and no more talk about my birthing hips. You'll hurt my feelings, she winked, and started to smile again, but caught herself. She realized the non-verbal communication might prove tricky with a race that used chromatophores and head frills. Zampa spoke up. Apologies again, I'm Zampa of the, uh, Deep Nest Clutch, and this is Glock of the, uh, Reverbend Clutch. 
Our species is called the Groloth, and we hail from the wonderful tropical swamp planet are called Aishnam, which means the great life-giving egg. It's only about twelve light-years from here. Clock spoke up again. What brings you out to this sector of space, eighteen thousand light-years away from home? Curiosity, mostly, Julian replied. I just earned my wormhole travel license about two years ago, so I've been popping around the galaxy looking for new sights to see and races to meet. I heard about the spaceport and how it was a great melting pot. I figured that I might be able to find some interesting items to trade for, and maybe get to a coordinates to some other places to visit. So, you're just exploring. You're not a military or a government official, and your planet's ruler just lets you, um, earn a wormhole travel license and gallivant about the galaxy. Unsupervised. Block thought that if this was how the primate xenotypes acted, it was no surprise at all that the others had gone extinct before reaching the intergalactic stage. Even considering how the other primate species eradicated themselves, this human species seemed exceedingly reckless. He struggled with what to ask, as his mind filled with questions about how such a species could survive long enough to reach space, much less master something like wormhole travel. How carefree or confident must they be just to jaunt about the galaxy, dropping in on random civilizations? That's right, just exploring. It's something we humans have done since we first started walking upright. First we explored all the land masses of our home world, then we sent people to our moon, and eventually to the other planets in our solar system. We realized that if we wanted to really get out into the galaxy, we were going to have to reinvent the wheel when it came to space travel. We looked out to the galaxy, realizing that 100,000 light years across, no FTL drive could ever allow us to explore it all in 10,000 lifetimes. That's why we eventually came up with the wormhole drive technology. We needed a technology that would satisfy our wanderlust and wouldn't require us to travel for centuries in stasis. Now we can reach any corner of the galaxy in under a minute. Julian tucked away a stray strand of her blonde hair behind her ear and leaned slightly forward. You see, we humans have an impatient species. We always find a way to get things done faster, to get where we're going sooner. You said, walking upright, asked Zambo. So your species was once quadrupedal? No, not exactly. It's an expression. We do come from primates, as your nosy little scanner indicated. Our early ancestors, as well as our closest relatives, walked hunched over, with their hands on the ground. With that, she pulled out a tablet and accessed QNet. With a quick search, she showed them an ancient 2D video of a black-furred primate, massively built with silvery patch of fur on its back. Zambo could almost see the similarity in the basic shapes of the mouth and eye ridges, but it was the creature's hands that convinced him. That's a gorilla, and uh, this is a chimpanzee, she said as she switched to a second video. They're our closest genetic relatives. Upon seeing the chimpanzee, Zambo could clearly see the resemblance, and he actually preferred the appearance of the chimpanzee, with its skins covered in a dark fur. This human, with its peach-colored hairless body, was somewhat unsettling. The million xenotypes were supposed to have more fur. Glock's eye spots flashed light pink for a moment before going neutral. Um, Julian, are you currently seeking to attract a mate? Julian barely managed to keep spitting her beer across the table. Not really. Why did you have someone in mind? 
She playfully batted her eyes, hoping to see the eye spots turn pink again, confirming that indicated embarrassment. Rock eye spots did indeed flash pink again. N -n no, I was simply requiring because of your garment. It reveals the upper third of your mammary glands. Our research indicates that mammalian xenotypes typically display their mammary glands as a part of mating rituals. The light flashing of Julian's cheeks was just as easily read by Glock and Zempo as Glock's pink eye flash. Oh, right, that, she said as the self consciously zipped up the front of her jumpsuit. Humans thermoregulate through our skin. We sweat from our pores in our skin. Also, exposing our arms and some of our core helps us stay cold in stuffy environments, like in the space station. But we do indeed display parts of our memory glands, breasts as we call them, and other parts of our bodies when our mating rituals. As a species, we don't have many hang-ups about displaying most of our bodies in certain situations. We do keep our reproductive parts covered in public, and females don't typically fully expose their breasts, however. But there are exceptions. Nude beaches, gentlemen clubs, and a whole sections of QNet dedicated to exploring and displaying sexual behaviors. She tilted her head down slightly, curling her index finger around her chin before realizing that her attempts to being coy were probably lost on her new friends. Does your species have anything like that? Glock and Zampo both stared blankly for a second before Zampo responded. No, our species, like other amphibian xenotypes, doesn't have, um, sex the way mammalian xenotypes do, so there is no interest in it. Some of the other mammalian xenotypes we've encountered do, though, particularly the Dawas of the Gorian Lesser. They're a Rodinchurk xenotype that is known across the sector of the galaxy for their sexual appetites. Glock tapped a few buttons on his scanner pad and displayed a picture of Dalwas. Julian looked down at noticing the eyes located towards the sides of the head, the prominent incisors and the long upright ears, and thought to herself, of course, it would be a rabbit-like species. They vaguely remind me of a species back on Earth that is also known for its ability to reproduce rapidly, called a rabbit, she said as she pulled out a stock image of a pet rabbit from her tablet and displayed it to them. Glock looked at the image, laughing in that gurgling his thinking. The universe truly does have a sense of humor, but at least it's consistent. Amusing, even 18,000 light years away, Rodentia is the same. To be fair, nearly every habitable world in our database has at least one species analogues to your rabbit, and they are quite prolific reproducers. My turn to ask a question, Julian asked. Do you have pets, animal companions? Glock flashed an eye spots in several colors in rapid succession. Excitement, she surmised. Yes, we do. But it is a relatively new development for our species. The idea was introduced to us by 150 years ago by another mammalian xenotype, the Aquaba. They let me show you a picture of my own pet. I call him Spot. He is a dog. Julian froze for a good five seconds, looking at the picture on the scanner pod. That was undoubtedly a dog. A Yorkie, to be precise. How, in the actual how, do they have dogs? She thought, and then it hit her. He's adorable, she said. I bet you didn't realize that you were keeping an earth pet, did you? You see, we met the Aquaba probably 500 years ago, when we first started deep space travel. We did an extensive cultural exchanges with them, including trading some of our animals with them. 
cows, pigs, dogs, and a few others. It's good to see that they've been successful in raising them, not to mention sharing them with the rest of the galaxy. Those pretentious cat people probably found tremendous amusement in perpetuating the idea of pet dogs throughout the galaxy. She thought to herself, here is a picture of the dog I had as a kid. He was a beagle. We called him Trips because he was always sniffing on his own ears and falling down as a puppy. Glock and Zampo both displayed excitement flashes. Zampo squirmed in his seat a bit. We have not seen this variant of dog before. Do you have many others on your planet? Oh yes, we have all well over a hundred. They come in all sizes, colors and hair types. We even have a couple of breeds that don't have any hair at all. Julian chuckled, amused just at how small the galaxy truly was, at least for humans. Their conversation went on for another four hours, at least. They discussed political structures, religions, entertainment, communication networks, and concepts of basic individual rights, and abbreviated histories of the species before Julian finally excused herself. She handed Glock a data chip, saying, This has my contact information. You should be able to connect to it, any data, net, and reach me. I've only got one on me, but either of you are free to reach out in the future. I'd love to exchange more information, and possibly even arrange a visit to your home planet. Having done that, she paid a tab, discarded her empty plates and beer bottle, and walked back to the slip where her ship was docked. As the airlock closed behind her, she spoke out. Donna, did you get all of that? The AI in her universal translator responded. Of course, Commander. What would you like me to do with the recordings? Compile them, please. Make all possible cross-references. Check the space station's data net. See if you can find the coordinates to the home world. Then forward it in standard first contact format to Admiral Hawthorne of the Diplomatic Intelligence Command. Notify me if they activate the data chip. It should be able to worm its way into the data nets without triggering any alarms. Smiling warmly, she sat in the cockpit and began her pre-flight checklist. Mark the file as high probability for friendly contact and make a note about non-verbal communication challenges based on the use of grammatophores and head frills to display emotion. See if you can create a translation for the non-verbal cues and attach it to the report as well. Oh, and add a note to smiling is off limits. Not a bad day's work for an interstellar primate, if I do say so myself. She said absently, before guiding a ship to the open space beyond the station's long, clockwise curving arms. End of story number two.